This passage right here in Matthew 28 is something that we all need to, to focus and to, to have a great understanding as Christians and a part of the church and what the mission of the church is and what we should be doing. All right. Uh, and so I think it also answers a very good question. Uh, why are we here? You can ask that question in a lot of different circumstances and contexts for a lot of different meanings. Why are we here? But that's kind of that existential question as well as why am I here? What is my purpose? What are we doing here? And as Christians this morning gathered on the first day of the week, why are we here? Why are we gathered together this morning? What is the purpose of it? And you might think immediately, well, for worship. And someone else would say, well, for edification, to be edified in God's Word. And you would be right in that. Um, but that big question of why we're here, what, the, what is the mission of the church? What are we trying to accomplish? I often will get these surveys of, of uh, from different groups that they'll, they'll send out from the Barna group and others, and they'll ask people, what do you think the purpose of the church is in your community, and are they helpful in what they do? And usually the response back is, we think the main purpose of the churches in our community is to what? What do you think they would say? To help the poor. That's over 60% every single time is to help the poor. Well, that is a part of our purpose, isn't it? That's a secondary part of it. But our main purpose and the thing that we are about as the churches of Christ, as the body of which Christ is put together, is that we are to make disciples. What, what does that mean? What do we do with that instruction there? So this all comes from Christ. So let's go over to Matthew 28. We're going to read verses 18 through 20. And what we read here is when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he came to his disciples. And you only have one appearance here in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus comes to them. I'll be reading from the New King James this morning. Verses 18 through 20. Verses 18 through 20. Listen to what Jesus says to his apostles. He comes to the eleven there in Galilee on the mountain. And Jesus came and he spoke to them and saying, and he says this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, or and remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I think we need to think about this passage some more. And as a congregation, as, as Christians gather together as a body, um, then we definitely need to be thinking about this. And anyone who is a Christian needs to be a part of a body and part of a congregation and a part of the church. You know, if you claim that faith, that's what the Bible tells you to do, that you are to be in the assembly and not to forsake it. So let's draw some observations here from the things that Jesus said. And then we're going to look a little bit further, deeper into Matthew 28. I'm going to keep, the message is going to be quite simple this morning in that, in that sense of being focused. All right, so first we see this. Jesus, Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and was buried and rose again. That's the gospel. What has he done? It says here that when he resurrected from the dead, he comes to his apostles and he says, all authority has been given to me. What does that mean? Authority here, the Greek word means dominion, power. All those things have been given to me. He's saying I'm the king. And Jesus says this in Luke chapter 17 and verse 21, as he's preaching, he says, the kingdom is in the midst of you. The kingdom that the people of Israel were looking forward to and that the Messiah who would be the king would be leading them. So he says, the king has come and the kingdom is in the midst of you now. 
But we also know from Colossians 1 and verse 13, and um, there's Hebrews 12 and verse 28, and Revelation 1 verse 5 and 6 says that we're already a part of the kingdom. That as Christians now, we've been brought into the kingdom. So we have the king, he's come. And then we are the body, the people in the kingdom. But then the Bible also says in passages like 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 18 and 2 Peter 1 and verse 11, that we will have entrance into the heavenly kingdom, entrance into the eternal kingdom. And so what I see here is this, Christ comes, he's the king, and he teaches and he preaches and he says, I will build my church, which is his kingdom, his people. And now you got the king and his people, but where are they going to live? And then he has his land, his country, the country that's been blessed and promised to us. And you get the fulfillment of those, like, those three details of the kingdom. And so Christ is coming saying, all authority has been given to me. He's saying, I have come into my kingship and into my rule. And then he gives instructions. And because he has all authority, he says to his disciples, to his followers, to the ones he's sending out, his apostles. And he, he says, all authority, I have all authority everywhere. From who? God has given to me. God the Father. Where? On earth and in heaven. Or in heaven and on earth. We see this. By his authority, he gives a command, an instruction, a commission. This is the mission of the church, okay? While some people say the main mission of the church is charity, and it is love, and it is compassion, and you should be loving your neighbor and loving your enemy. That's a part of the Great Commission. You're not going to be very good at sharing the gospel and making disciples if you're just mean to people, if you're very hateful, all right? That, that's not going to work. So, uh, or if you're not charitable, if you see your neighbor in need and you're just like, well, they'll take care of themselves. So we want to make sure that we're doing that. And again, while I'm on that, uh, if you can give to help with the disaster relief, do that. That's one of the things we do. In the Bible, you've got constant things where there's a famine here and need over here. And what do the churches do? Um, you know, you would think, well, did they get a crate together of stuff or did they send people? You know, I can see them doing some of that, but mostly in the Bible, we see them collecting money and sending it to the churches there to help in those needs. So, yeah, we're doing that and we need to be doing that. And here Christ, by his authority, he doesn't say to his disciples, now you go out and make tons of money and give it away. That's not what he says. He says, you go out and you make disciples. That's what you do. You go out. So going out implies evangelism. It means sharing my faith. It means teaching and speaking about God. And as a congregation and as a believers, we all need to come to that courage and basis to be able to speak about Christ. And it's from there that going out, we make disciples. And then the scripture tells us how to make disciples. How do you make a disciple? Well, first, you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a disciple of Christ without doing that. What does it mean to be a disciple? Uh, disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In other words, if you're a student and a follower of Jesus, you believe in Him and you trust in Him, you put your hope and your salvation into His hands, if that's you, then you should be a disciple, a follower, a student of Him. That's us. And then we are to make other disciples, others who believe, who trust, who know God's Word, and it starts at baptism. So baptizing them, then teaching them to keep all that Christ had commanded. Notice that, all of it. You know, some people say, well, the New Testament, there's 260 chapters there. How can I know what to do and know these things? Well, you can read it. You can read five chapters a week. We've done that before as a congregation for 52 weeks, and you're done in a year. We've read the New Testament as a congregation uh, for two years together. And God bless you for doing that. It's a wonderful thing to do. That's a part of discipleship. That's a part of teaching everything that Christ has commanded. And as Jesus himself said, he says to his apostles, he says, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to guide you into all truth. 
John chapter 16, verses 20, verse uh, 12 and 13. He says, the Holy Spirit, I'm going I'm to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to guide you into all truth. So the apostles and prophets spoke and wrote the scriptures. We see that in Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 5. And those are the words and the teachings of Christ to command and direct us and to show us where to go and how to live in the grace of Christ and to live by faith. So Jesus has revealed how to make disciples. Very clear. And we see that there in the text. Now, there's another interesting thing here is Jesus concludes it by saying he says to his disciples that he will be with them always. That's encouraging to me. What does it mean that Jesus is always going to be with us? He's our advocate. He's beside us on the day of judgment. He's the one who stands beside us, who makes our case, who is perfect and right in every way. He's the one on which I need beside me on the day of judgment. Do you want to stand in judgment before God without Christ? I don't. I need his blood. I need his sacrifice. I I need his uh, advocacy at my side. And Christ will stand beside you and you will be clean before the Heavenly Father. You'll be saved. And so with Christ saying, I'll always be with you when you make disciples, when you're baptizing, when you're teaching, when you're in the act of being a Christian, being a disciple, being a part of his church, he's always with us. There's not a time in which He's not with us. It reminds me of Matthew 18 and verse 20 where Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in My name, there I am in the midst of them. So Christ is with us. And then the passage says, in my translation, and most of us say, to the end of the age. The, I don't like the word end there, looking at the Greek. I think it would be better if it said the completion of the age. The, in other words, the completion of the mission, the completion of the work, comes to this point in this age. I'm going to talk more about that in a moment. But Christ's command to observe all that He commanded must include Christians making disciples, okay? So some people might read Matthew 28 and they'll say, well, this is Jesus talking to the apostles. It doesn't didn't include me. I, I'm not a part of this. I don't have a role in the making of disciples, okay? And every one of us have a different role in it, okay? You're a different place as you're maturing as a Christian. Um, some teach Sunday school, some are helping out and giving and helping with their neighbors. Um, some are active in the community and their work and their jobs. In that sense of bringing others to Christ, that's good. Some, you know, preach. Some act as elders and deacons. All of these things are a part of God's plan, and it's a part of making disciples. That's the whole mission of the church. And everything we're reading in the New Testament about what we are to be doing and where our focus should be. So this command is not just for the apostles. And the reason I know that is because... Jesus says to his apostles, he says, you go out, make disciples, baptize them, teach them everything I commanded you. And what is everything that he commanded them? To make disciples. It's implicit that it would be perpetual, that you would be commanding and and giving that instruction to the next generation and to the next generation, and it would pass down. And we can see that in Scripture. I'm going to show you more about that in a moment. So this is the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It answers a number of questions that we may ask. So I want to look at seven questions this morning, in a row, right one after another, that are answered by Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. So the first question is here is, what did Jesus receive, or when did Jesus receive all authority in heaven on earth? Well, evidently, it's when He rose from the dead. It's when He conquered death on our behalf, and thank God for that. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead. We look forward to the day in which Christ will come back in which we will be resurrected and glorified bodies like that of Christ. That's what the promise and the hope of the Christian faith is. 
And Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the one. Jesus says, I came not to judge, but he says in, in uh, John chapter 12, verse 48, he says, but my words will judge. My words will judge. And this connects with our Bible study this morning, if you go to the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, there's this great prophecy. And in the prophecy, Daniel has a vision, and he sees the Son of Man coming to God, described as the Ancient of Days. So you have a man coming to God. And he's given this right here in Daniel chapter 7. We read this. I was watching the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. So this is a messianic prophecy of the coming Christ, the Messiah. He says, He comes with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought Him near before Him. And then to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. So you have this picture of the Messiah, the King, that's prophesied throughout the Old Testament to come. He's going to be given a dominion and a kingdom. He's given authority. What kind of authority? He has that authority over his kingdom. He's got rule over, and as Christ says in John 18 and verse 36, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. He says, this kingdom is, is a different kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom that's spiritual. It's one of making disciples. And so, as the text says here, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. That they'll come into obedience to Him. This is the promise of Abraham that all nations should be blessed. And then it says here, His dominion is an everlasting dominion. So the Jews in Jesus' day, when Jesus came, they thought, well, the ones that rejected Him, if we put Him to death, then He's not the everlasting Christ. He's not that King that's prophesied in the Bible. And so when Christ is put to death, they think they're victorious, and they're not. Jesus is then going to be resurrected. And so it says there that He comes to His dominion, His power, and it's an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. That's the church. That's what we're about. That's what we're a part of. We're a part of an eternal kingdom that cannot be destroyed. Of all the nations of the earth, the Bible says um, that we are the nation of God, the church. You can go and read this and. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9. You know, often people will say, the greatest nation on earth. Talking about the greatest nation on earth. Yeah, I'm a patriot. I love the United States. I love the basis of our, of our country. But as far as what Christ says about His nation and His people, the greatest nation is His people. A nation, uh, in heaven and on earth, it's the church. And that He has all dominion in that. So that question of authority there is that Christ has come into His kingdom. With power. Secondly, what is the mission of the disciples of Christ? What's the mission of the church? We see it very clearly. Let me show you another scripture that emphasizes this. Paul says to Timothy, here's Paul at the end of his life. He's passing on the ministry onto Timothy and knowing that he's about to die. He, this is that text where he says, I've finished the race. And Paul says this, he says, You therefore, my son, talking to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, you've heard the gospel preached, commit these to faithful people. Commit these to those who are faithful and believe it, who will be trustworthy in it, Give them the instructions and the commands that have been revealed by the Holy Spirit, that have come from Jesus, who will be able to teach others. 
And that's interesting because now what do you have there? You have Christ has taught Paul, and Paul said the gospel, and he's taught others, specifically Timothy. Now he's telling Timothy, Timothy, you go tell others so that they can tell others. And there you've got a long line of that perpetual act of making disciples. Of making disciples. And so we have that role. And that instruction here for ministers is you teach others so that they can teach others. That's our job. That's the mission of the church. And so I think a lot of churches forget what direction they're going. They forgot. They forget what they're about. So do churches know what direction that they're going in? You know, when I think about a mission, I think about that. I'm set and I'm giving guidance of where I should go. And Christ has given it to us. Christ has said to every one of us as His people and His church, this is the direction to go. He's pointing to it. You become a disciple. You're baptized. You teach others. You learn all the things that are commanded. And you make disciples as well. The third question that's answered here is what are disciples and how are they made? And we see very clearly a disciple is someone who's been baptized. They follow Christ. A disciple means a student or a follower. And that they're taught the commands. That's, that's implicit there in the text. And as the scripture says right here, it says Barnabas got Saul, which is a bit later known as Paul. After he converted, they met with the church. They taught others, a great many people, it says in Antioch. And the disciples... We're, called, we're first called Christians there in Antioch. There are a lot of things in the Bible that tells us what it means to be a disciple. Like John 8 and verse 31, Jesus says, If you're my disciple, if you're a follower of me, you're going to abide in my word. You're going to live in my word. You're going to study it. It's going to be your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. All right? Jesus says in John 13 and verse 35, he says, If you're my disciple, you're going to love one another. All right? You can't be a Christian and hold up the Bible and then be hateful to other people. You're going to live by love as well. And the scripture is also saying, Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross daily. All those things are characteristic of a disciple. When we look at our lives, we'll find ourselves in different, different positions as, as growing as a Christian. Always like this, this is, this is Christ calling his first disciples to follow him. He's calling Peter, who, you know, the fisherman. Come and follow me. And in Mark 1 and verse 11, Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. I love this, this passage and the, um, the instruction application here, because it tells us, when you're first called by Christ, when you hear the gospel, you follow him. And that's usually the first stage of being a Christian. And the second part is, that Christ starts making you. He says, I will make you. He starts developing you and maturing you. And to what direction? Every single one of us is on the same direction and path when it comes to being in the church and as Christians, and that is, we're disciples who make disciples. So I think you get what what Jesus is emphasizing for His church this morning. And I think for us, it, it means us sitting back and saying, What am I doing? How am I using my gifts? What is my role in the church? How am I making disciples? And a lot of us could say, I definitely have done this and this, and God has blessed me to do it, so I'm doing good things, but I also know I need to work in this area. I hope that's what we're reflecting on. But we're working to the point of becoming fishers of men, being catchers of men. Uh, Number four, we see why believers are baptized in the name of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. When, why does it say name? Why is the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit? Because they're all God united in one being, three persons in one. 
and is by the authority of God. And so with that command and instruction, what did the apostles do with the Great Commission? Well, in Acts chapter 2, when we see the establishment of the church, Peter gets up and Peter preaches a sermon and he says, listen, the, the Old Testament prophesied and predicted that the Messiah would come, that he would die and he would resurrect from the dead. And Jesus predicted that too. And then Peter goes on and he says, not only did the scriptures predict that, we have the tomb. We know where David's body is. We know where the king's, our king's bodies are and the bodies of prophets. They did at that time. Uh, but where is the body of Jesus? His tomb was empty. And Paul preaches a similar sermon in Acts chapter 13 along the same lines. And he gets, starts giving the evidence. You've got predictions of the Messiah to come. He's going to die in resurrection. He's going to, be, die, he's going to die and be resurrected. That uh, his tomb is going to be found empty. And then Peter also says this. He says, and we are witnesses. You've got the testimony and the evidence of witnesses. As the Bible says, upon two or three witnesses, you can affirm something is true. So Peter lays out all the evidence, and he makes disciples, and he preaches the gospel. And then it says here, read the text. Uh, This is actually Acts 2, 37 and 38. It says, They were cut to their heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And so, what did Peter say? He said, say a prayer. No, he didn't say that. He said, just believe and go home and live a decent life. No, he says this. He says, repent. That's what Peter preached. Upon the resurrection of Christ and the hope of eternal life that is given to us, promised to us, he says, men and brethren, what shall we do? He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, why is he preaching that? Because Christ told him to preach that. That's what we teach. Repentance and, let, and the command here, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is just as Jesus preached, and you got another depiction of the Great Commission in Mark 16, 16, where where Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And that brings a very important part. In Acts chapter 8, you have Philip preaching the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. And it says here that he, from this text of Isaiah, he says he preached to him Jesus. And what did the Ethiopian eunuch say to him? It says he preached Jesus and he said, what hinders me from being baptized? Well, what does baptism have to do with the gospel of preaching Jesus? Everything, because Jesus commanded it. And right here in Acts chapter 8, when it says he preached, when he preached this, when he preached Jesus, it implies that the baptism is going to be preached. And so they stopped the chariot and went down into the water and came back up. And he was baptized in the name of Christ. Another great question that is answered here from Matthew 28 are what are disciples to teach others? And the Bible is very clear. All that Christ has commanded. A part of our reading this morning that Logan read was in Luke 24. And listen to this, verses 46 and 47. Jesus was talking to his disciples again after he resurrected from the dead. He says, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. There's the gospel. And that repentance... And the forgiveness of sins should be preached in His name to all nations, to all ethnicities, beginning at Jerusalem. That was God's plan. It was prophesied in the Old Testament that it would start from Jerusalem. The book of Isaiah teaches this very clearly. That's the gospel. 
You don't see any of the disciples taking, hearing the gospel and not taking it to the world. What we know about history, we know about uh, Thomas and Bartholomew going out to India. We know from historical accounts, according to Eusebius, that Simon the Zealot went to Britannia, uh, went throughout northern Africa in the preaching of the gospel. Um, we know other individuals that are recorded in history who took the gospel to the world. And these apostles did those great things, and it started from Jerusalem. That's our mission. That's what we're a part of. I encourage you that we use the wisdom of God given to us to teach others. Jesus said to his disciples there in Matthew 10 and verse 16, he says, I send you out as sheep among wolves. And we are. We're sent out as sheep among wolves. So he says, therefore, be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Right, About half a dozen of you quoted that passage when I was saying it. So thank you. Very good. But we see we need to have wisdom in the way that we are and the way that we behave. We need to think about how we are acting in the community and people around us. And we do not need to hide the fact that we believe in God. God, speaking about God, is the bridge to teaching on the resurrection. I know that from Acts chapter 17. Whatever you talk about, if you can't bring up God, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I guess ever since I was 12 years old, uh, that's been fascinating with my Creator and the creation and seeing God and His work all around me. Uh, and, this, and if we as Christians will practice talking to one another, we'll be a lot easier to speak to others. Number six, I'm going to leave number seven for our invitation. But number six is, what did Jesus mean by the completion of the age? Well, the age is the age of his authority. We see that in the text. The age is the time of the age of making disciples. The age in which we live in, in which Christ says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, to the completion of the age, he's saying, it's the church age. Christ promised this. All right? So you're familiar with Matthew 16 and verse 18. Jesus says, And I also say to you that you are Peter. Peter just made a confession that Jesus Christ, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. He said, that's who you are. And, G- and then Jesus says to him, on this rock, on this confession of your faith, Jesus says, I will build my church. You know, the church isn't an accident. It wasn't just something we threw together so that you have to have something to do on Sunday morning. All right. This is something that Christ brought together and his apostles taught in the scriptures. This is Jesus's plan to make the church. And he's given us the mission. He said, I will build my church. And he says, in the gates of Hades, death and hell will not prevail against it. The gates of Hades will not prevail against this church. When should churches focus on making disciples? And, and what I want to emphasize here is that right now, we're doing it. When we sing together, when we listen, when there's a teaching and reading of Scripture, this is a part of it. Our, everything that's about the church. The formation of the church and how it's put together. The reason we have elders and deacons, this is all for the making and the mission of the church and making disciples. Everything that we do, the communion as a as a a time of remembering Jesus Christ and His sacrifice is all about us being disciples and passing on that life, eternal life that Christ has brought to all of humanity. See, Christ's blueprint for the church, it supports that purpose. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, you've been given the elders and you've given leaders and teachers in the church. For what reason? He says, to give and to equip the church, to give a ministry to the church so that when everybody does their work, that the church will grow. That's in Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24. 
So we want to examine ourselves and say, are we doing what we need to be doing? And that brings us to the last question I want to share with you this morning. Another question that's answered by the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is, where is Christ when His followers are about His mission? Where are we when we're a part of His church or when we're being persecuted, when we're suffering? And Jesus says that He is with us and we are not alone. He is with us. And we should take great comfort in that. In John 17, Jesus prays to the Father, and He prays for those who will believe in Christ and believe in Him through the apostles' teaching. And He says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word, and that they may be one just as You, Father, are in Me, and I in You, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that You have sent Me. And so Jesus is praying. Me and the Fa- he says that He and the Father are one, and I want my people to be one, united, and always be with me. If you want to be with Christ, and you want Him to be your advocate on the day of judgment, you need to come to Him and obey the gospel. And this morning, you've heard it in detail, of what it means to make disciples, what the mission of the church is. And if you want to be added to the church, the Bible says that you need to be baptized. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. It says, those who are baptized are added to the church, added to them. It's God that does it. It says the Lord adds them. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says the same thing. When you're baptized, you're added into the one body, the body of Christ. So if you haven't obeyed the gospel, we encourage you to make a confession of faith. Confess that Jesus is Lord, that He rose from the dead. Uh, Repent of your sins, be baptized in the Christ, and begin the new life as a disciple. And take part and have a mission, that mission that Christ has given us for the church. Whatever your needs are, we encourage you to come forward. Let's stand and sing together.